Good morning from Luxor. It's 8 a.m. on Sunday, the 12th of February 2023, and I'm standing on the east bank of the Nile River, taking it all in. Beautiful, sunny day with blue skies and a lovely little breeze. What a place to wake up in. Tomorrow afternoon is the first circle show of 2023 with an audience and it's happening across the river in a stunning place where nothing like this has ever happened before. Well, maybe, but there's no record of it and if it had, it would have been over three and a half thousand years ago. This place is the temple of Hatshepsut, the second woman to ever rule as a pharaoh in ancient Egypt. Her reign in the early 15th century BC remained the longest of a female pharaoh until Cleopatra came to power 1400 years later. Hatshepsut means foremost of noble ladies and her temple is located right by the Valley of the Kings beneath an amphitheatre of limestone cliffs, which I can see in the distance. I am so excited for this. But we have some time before we visit and dance in front of this iconic monument. We're taking the next day and a half to immerse ourselves in the magnificent city of Luxor. The farmers and the people living in Delta especially, they have the art inside their lives, their food, in their communication, in their celebrations. Here this is a Muslim, but here this is a Christian people. They are mixed together like one. They are neighbors in the land. Egypt guests when they work for tomb or for temple, and they was living with us like 25 years. And make for every painting the story from Anubian tradition. Quick disclaimer before we get started. This is not a history program. You've got qualified historians for that, and I'm certainly not one of them. It's also not a comprehensive travel guide to Luxor. This is the first time I come here. So safe to say I'm not an expert. And although I hope that our journey over the next 36 hours will inspire you, it's clear from my research that this simply isn't enough time to experience all the amazing things there are to see and do here. Put simply, Ecosystem is a first-hand account from a curious traveller visiting a place for the first time. It's about meeting interesting people. It's about feeling and experiencing somewhere through its art, culture and the stories of its community. It's about special moments in a special place. In this episode, we're exploring life in Luxor, past and present, through contemporary art, traditional music, history, agriculture and archaeology. We have a packed schedule and many people to meet. Right, I need to head to the other side of the Nile for our first stop. From where I'm standing, the West Bank is just over 500 metres away. That's the equivalent of five football pitches. So, let's start this journey in style. I'm about to be picked up by Mohammed, who's our guide for this episode. No, he's not coming in a fancy car. He's on a felucca, a traditional Egyptian wooden sailing boat with a canvas sail. That's right, we're sailing over. Hello, Mohammed. How's it going? How are you? Yeah, really nice good. To good you. to meet you. Let's go in. So we're now rowing out onto the Nile. Me, Mohammed Abu Naga. I'm a tour guide. There's a lot of historical place here. So I just try to give the guests a good uh, idea about my country and make them enjoy. I'm from Luxor, born here. What's it like to grow up in Luxor? Actually, it's good. A lot of people, they come from everywhere in the world to see my city and they say it's beautiful, we would like to stay here. So I'm lucky to be here, actually. <laughs> I feel I'm lucky, yeah. 
sails are going up. One big canvas sail. Yeah. Actually, in the past, in the ancient Egyptian time, there was two. Because it was uh, making a very, very big ship, like Hatshepsut. She did many, many trips with a boat so deep in Africa, and she get uh, a lot of things, a twist, and an estes, a lot of things. They say the boat it was almost 100 meters to carry the obelisk. And until now, still mysterious how they could do this, you know? So, this is the new way of the... <laughs> so it's a shorter boat. This is definitely not 100 meters long. It's uh, maybe 10, 10 meters? And the mast is at the front and the sail is going up diagonally. Yes, like a bit of it. We've sailed about halfway and Mohammed tells me this is the best spot to get a full 360 view of the city's most important buildings and monuments along the east bank. He's pointing towards Luxor Temple and Karnak Temple and King Farouk's Winter Palace, which was converted into a hotel where Agatha Christie famously wrote her novel Death on the Nile. The East Bank feels like the buzzing part of the city, with tall buildings, many hotels and lots of people. The West Bank, on the other hand, seems more chilled out, with big open spaces, farms and mountains. And I asked Mohammed if it was always like this. In the ancient Egyptian time, this is East Bank. It was the life area and West Bank was like the grave. This is the cemetery for them. They used to live here, built all of their temples here and build their houses here and they used to bury their bodies here in the mountain, in the West Bank. There is value of the kings, value of the queens and value of the nobles, you know. A lot of tombs here discovered. We have arrived. Jumping over. From one mode of transportation to the next. Before we head towards the mountains, quick detour through one of Luxor's oldest roads. Mohammed wants to show me where he grew up. This is Esba, southern part of Luxor. The design of the houses here, you notice some of them are one floor, some of them are two floors, yeah. some of them are three floors. Yeah. It seems like those floors are kind of added on as it yeah. goes. Yeah. The old house in the past, it used to be one and two floor maximum. But with the new uh, building, they can build more than 10 uh, floors and 11 floors. And this is useful because here the family, when they get married, they used to stay first in the ground floor. If they get the babies and the babies want to get married, they built for them the other floor. If, if there is another brothers and sisters, they would like to marry also up, up, up. So each house here is a family. And tell me where we are in Egypt at the minute, because we're quite far south. We would say quite far down if we consider south and north, because north is Cairo and south is Luxor. Yeah. But actually, we're in Upper Egypt. They call it Upper Egypt because here, the land is more higher. And in the past, Luxor was the capital of Egypt in the ancient Egyptian time. They was called it Wasit, which means uh, the powerful. There is a sweet kingdom, old kingdom, and middle kingdom, and the new kingdom, you know. From the old kingdom, the king used to rule from here. Then to Cairo, and then in the new kingdom, they come again, and they rule again from here. And then they call it Luxor. And they call <laughs> it Luxor because Luxor, it's mean palaces, you know. And here in the past, when the Greek, they come and they visit uh, Egypt, they come to Luxor to visit the temples. And they saw here there is many castles, many villas, you know. So they call it Luxor. In Arabic, it's mean the villa, you know, and palace.
So we're driving inland towards the mountains. There's no rules on the road here, is no. there? <laughs> no. Rules. The area where we're passing this in the past, you know, it was all when the Nile was flooding, it was all underwater until the bottom of the mountain. Valley of the Kings, we can see, we can see uh, the tombs of the nobles, we can pass from uh, the Marsam Hotel, which we will visit later. So we've basically come to the edge, I guess, of the West Bank, where it's very much mountain and the desert. It's really striking how on one side, you know, all along the Nile, it's so green, but very quickly, we're back in the desert, which is, you know, shades of yellow and gray. 99% of Egypt is desert, isn't it? Yes. And we can see what looks like old houses built in the rocks. This is the old village. And in the past, the people used to live here, but the government will move this old village because this is mountain still full with the tombs. And the people was living here, they refused to go. And when they knocked the houses down and started digging under, they found that most of these houses are sitting on a tomb. Most of the people, they already dig, already under their houses. And some people, they dig from their house to under the neighbor house, you know. They try to find things. They know this is mountain, it's full of gold, you know, full of treasures. Marsam Hotel and Restaurant, oldest yeah. in West Bank. Before it, in the West Bank, there was nothing here. We're just by the entrance. Yellow building, blue windows. Courtyard of Marsam Hotel. We're looking towards the East Bank. Behind us was the entrance where it was all desert and temples and in front of us is beautiful beautiful greenery fields and flowers i can see some sunflowers i can see one two three four camels just chilling out the colors are just uh, incredible like in this courtyard we've got different shades of yellow and beige and and blue seats and lovely tree in the middle it used to belong to the family of sheikh abdul rasul this is uh, his house Abdel Rasul, he's so famous man. We head inside where I can see many photos of excavation sites dating all the way back to the 1920s. This place is full of history. It's been hosting archaeologists and Egyptologists from all over the world for more than a hundred years. There's lots of art here too, painted directly on the walls and clearly inspired by ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs. Mohammed introduces me to the general manager, Ahmed El Tayeb Abderasul, the grandson of Sheikh Abderasul. His family is notorious in Egypt and beyond. The family discovered one tomb in 1872 behind the Hapshepsut temple. There's the only tomb have 44 mummies from royal king, and they keep it secret between the family for 10 years. Egypt in this time was under the control of uh, England and everything was going out. Out to English museums. Exactly, and they would like to keep it inside Egypt. Why is Marsam such a famous place? The beginning of this building was by Chicago University for Egyptologists, make all the drawings for the, all the sites in the West Bank. 
So they preferred to stay very near to the side and they stayed from 1918 until 1938. After that, Sheikh Al Abd Rasul he bought it from them and he make it like a hotel. So the Marsam start to be like a point to collect everybody, Egyptologists and artists. And 1942, it was the second war, very difficult for Egypt to send students out of Egypt. So the idea was to make inside Egypt diploma, and it's called Marsam Diploma. Archaeology and, and art kind of meeting together. If you look to the history and the temple and so on, it's full of art. Who made the temple? Who drawing tombs and so on? The artists. The art is living with us from the ancient until now. Everything have contact. You must feel really proud that your family achieved all this. Yeah, for sure. And I try to give the light because the family work a lot with the Egyptologists, mm. but in the end, they don't mention Egyptian with the mission. You don't hear their name, and it's not fair. A lot of Egyptian work with them. They know each point in the mountain. They help a lot. As Luxor grew to become one of the world's hotspots for archaeologists over the last hundred years, Marsam Hotel kept expanding to accommodate more and more missions. The oldest part. So the oldest part is on our, our left, the very front part. And this is called Chicago House for us. And this is the White House. And we have Italian house. They built it for, especially for uh, Italian mission. It's built in 1973, and they was living with us like 25 years. 25 years? That's a long time yeah, to yeah. stay somewhere to do some search. Egyptologists, when they work for tomb or for temple, it will not finish in one or two years. It take long time. It must be really emotional sometimes when people come back from a day of doing some search and they found something incredible. Yeah, for sure. And for example, the Spanish mission, they just opened two days ago, one tomb. So we are very happy because they live with us such a long time and we get, uh, we like family with them. Every time we talk about the discovering and we make also party for them. Yeah. <laughs> with good music. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, thanks so much for speaking to us. I'm about to go to Mahmoud Salem's uh, place. Do you know the place? Ah, yeah, for sure. No, Art gallery is uh, very interesting, and what he is doing also big thing. Mahmoud Salem Sculpture Gallery. Nice to meet you, Mahmoud. You are welcome. Me too. This place is uh, my family uh, place. I make uh, art gallery to show my sculptures. We are in uh, Madinat Habu, the center between uh, agriculture and desert, mountain, monumentous. I'm lucky to be here. I'm inspired by the creation that was in Pharaoh time, animals, people, faces. The design of uh, flowers, grain. Wow, wow, wow. This is all your work. We're just yes. walking into the, yeah, yeah. the gallery to see all the work. For example, this is the political situation in Middle East. So it's all made out of wood. We can see stairs going up. There is a person carrying a Middle Eastern map. It's all with questions and exclamation sign. And he go upstairs to a good uh, future. 
and some hands helping him holding but the steps we don't know he will if he will get there yeah or fall down uh, i made this sculpture in 2015 terrorism destroyed uh, syria iraq sinai in egypt and yemen and uh, i write also some things syria jordan palestine lebanon crying and iraq too and egypt is feel pain it's quite a powerful and, and political and, and quite sad piece i became happy after i finished cause all the sad what inside me i bought on the wood on the sculpture yeah you feel when you are very angry or very sad and then you cry mm. the yeah negative energies go yeah in tears and in wood yeah <laughs> there are close to a hundred wood and stone sculptures in Mahmoud's gallery of all sorts and sizes from simple animal shapes to complex and meaningful carvings as we're walking around i'm struck by what looks like a painting in a frame but it's actually a very precise wood carving of a garden tap upside down from which a lush plant is growing the leaves are incredibly detailed and i can see the sun in the top left corner it feels like a very hopeful and positive piece very different to the one we just looked at before uh, seven years most of my sculpture was uh, sad I try to change this to something give hope. And uh, in this step if there is no water except one drop it can change the life. It feels like a lot of your artists and and you as a person who've gone for a journey. Are you trying to um find a way a little bit like the Egyptians? Are you trying to find a way to leave uh, a legacy? Yeah, I want to leave something. Yeah, ancient Egyptian, they left a lot of things we still see especially the sculpture. Is it a difficult job? Yes, difficult. It take uh, time. and also uh, uh, you will not sell sculpture every day and also um, the artist is a moody person <laughs> not normal <laughs> people <laughs> <laughs> We hear this calling for the prayer, so we all of the Muslims go to the mosque to pray. And this is five times in the day, but uh, not all of the Muslims they go to pray five times, and me too, <laughs> actually. The most of the people who doesn't pray the full times, they pray at least the Friday. You know, there is a famous prayer in uh, Friday, very holy. prior we go all to the mosque all of the people and there is the sheikh the big imam you know he go in the microphone and he tell us a little story about islam about how good is islam how to be a good muslims and then we pray and all the egyptian love this prayer you can find the mosque in uh, on a friday is full but not all the time we're off to visit a farm on the outskirts of the west bank It's owned by Mohammed's sister and her husband. This is it. 
Assalamu alaikum. Hey, hello, how are you? I'm very good, how are you? You're picking the tomatoes. The ripe tomatoes, yeah. He said the land accept anything here. He feel that the land feel him, you know. We're in a small village of about 15 houses and on either side dozens of plots of farmland, each the size of a tennis court. Kairi is working on his three plots, growing flour, beans, onions and many other types of fruit and veg. His two kids are with him and he's showing them how to pick the tomatoes. Here, farming is transmitted from generation to generation. Yeah. He's the old farmer, he's his father. Are you being told off? Yeah, no, he say be careful from the planet. Don't destroy the planet. It does feel like a really, really special place, yeah, I have to say, and it's just so, so amazing to see this, this kind of really original farming. It's not, yeah. there's no machines, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he say, just say, this is a Christian. Live next by the, here, this is a Muslim, but here, this is a Christian people. And they are mixed together like one. They love each other. He says they are neighbors in the land, so they are like one. They help each other. If they need something, the Christian give it to the Muslims, and the Muslims standing beside the, the Christian, it's like uh, so free and so peaceful together. There is no difference between the Muslim religion and the Christian religion. This is the Christian village, what Khairi was just telling you about them. All of the Christians here, they live in the village next to the Muslims. It's a Muslim country, but there is a lot of Christian people who live with us. And uh, there is no difference. We just arrived at Wanas Art Cafe, where we are going to meet Syed Kinawi. It's right next to Noon Gallery, where something very special happening tonight. Welcome. Good to be here. Yes, you are very welcome. We're just preparing the place. My name is Saeed Kinawi. I am from uh, Barat village in the west bank of Luxor where all that monuments and temples around. We grow with many international faces and we have that kind of charisma as an upper Egyptians with their jalabiyas, but also they are connected to the whole world. It, maybe we are lucky more than many of the Egyptians. And where are we right now? In the middle between uh, Wanas Art Cafe and Noon Art Gallery. And it's a place where you can eat uh, local cuisines and healthy vegetarians. And also uh, links to the contemporary art in Egypt. And the live music, we bring it locally here to let people, you know, communicate with our cultures. Presenting uh, local traditional music from three musicians. One is a drummer, and a wood player, and a flute. People who come to visit Luxor, they would like to see an, uh, an ancient sites, but also they want to see the daily life, the contemporary art in Luxor, and artists of Egypt, this is the best example to show people our taste. 
Luxor is an, an inspiration for all the creativities, not just an artist, but even science people, foods, designs. Everyone wants to look for a, a new idea. He has to uh, search for it in our walls, and maybe he can find it if he's opening his heart for it. <laughs> the world has learned a lot about itself through Egypt. If you're following an acquisitions kind of knowledge or any kind of scientific things, always, always, the ancient Egyptian is one of the sources where you can find many answers. What's so special about Egyptian art? For every artist who likes to choose a theme or an idea from the ancient time or of the modern life or the mulid or the festival or the wedding give you a story through his paintings. And the way they choose the colors for some artists too or the way they made it to give this, um, what we call it, the essence of Egypt into the paintings. So, for example, some artists, they make a lot of paintings and many different things, but always they like to give an, a, a little drawing of a fish in their works. And always the fish, it's about the richness, the good lives. So always they want to add that into their artworks. There is a happiness with it. want uh, contemporary and the arts to be part of life too. Local Egyptians, who's like the farmers and the people living in Delta especially, they have the art inside their lives. They create that in their food, in their communication, in their celebrations. So they don't see it as an academic contemporary art as we saw it now, but they have it in their lives so they don't put it in words. But you can feel it and touch it by seeing from them. And I wanted that. I wanted to grow it and make it more, especially in Luxor. And I think it's the most beautiful joy. That's a very beautiful way to put it, actually. We're getting the thumbs up from Mohammed here. I think he, I think he wholeheartedly agrees. There is not many chances to talk uh, like that. And it's exactly like many of the ancient sites around. Maybe we don't visit it two times in our lives, but we live with it. You are already connected with them. So for many Egyptians, when they go, and if they concentrate to see what's between the carvings, they really can see themselves and what they're doing now. But, uh, you know, with a different clothes. Yeah, with different clothes. <laughs> different language. <laughs> Day two, we start our day with some art. Jamal Latif is in front of me. Hello. Hello. Can you tell us where we are right now? Uh, now we are in uh, Manchit in Nuba village, seven kilometers south of city Luxor. All this village is Nubian. The Nubians are an ethnic group originating from the central Nile Valley, one of the earliest cradles of civilization. According to ancient Egyptian trading accounts over 4,000 years ago, Nubia was made of two major regions along the Nile River, from the city of Aswan, three hours' drive south of Luxor, to Khartoum, the capital of neighbouring Sudan. We are moved from Aswan at uh, 1933. We are always uh, keep uh, something inside the house, 
to stay uh, like a Nubian place here. So we've just walked through to your courtyard, which is at the back of your house, 20 meters wide, about the same in length, and it's designed in traditional Nubian style. One half, which is open air, which is hot, other half is a lot cooler in temperature, and it's covered by... Palm front. It's the leaves from the palm trees. Yeah, yeah, leaves of palm, yeah. So you align them and, and then you cover them. Yeah, we we'll cover it. With mud brick. Yeah, yeah, make it cool inside. So it's nice and cool because yeah. the mud is stopping the, the heat from getting yeah, through, basically. Yeah, yeah, Your floor everywhere has white tiles. In old Nubian, the, the sand. Blue mats, blue couches, blue table. Uh, blue, I, the sky... The water, Nile water, mm. uh, blue, I think this the, the life. All your windows and doors have what looks like triangles around them. The wave of the river, the so Nile. The waves of the Nile. Nile, yeah, yeah. Always. <laughs> you have a red hand above uh, one of your exit doors. When we make... Uh, uh, wedding or something, we kill cow or something, mm. like, and we take from the blood of the cow and ma- put it in the wall like this. To stop the bad to eyes. Stop the bad eyes. Oh, to stop the bad eyes from yeah. coming in the house. Yeah. yeah. What could be bad eyes? Bad people uh, don't want you to be good. And that's why you have this how ha- this yeah. hand on the door to the exit. Yeah. Yeah. So you wouldn't put it above every door, just yeah. the doors to go out. Yes. Yeah. And and besides the. Uh, in the gate of the house. In the gate of the house as well? Yeah. Keep the house from the uh, crocodile. So it's to stop the crocodile from coming. When they see this sign, they go back into the Nile. Yeah, in our culture like this. And we've got loads of your paintings and they look absolutely Uh, beautiful. I know the people know about Nubian dance, about uh, Nubian history. All the people know. But they didn't know Nubian life. In the wedding, the birth, baby born, a lot of things. Painting what I feel and, and what uh, my fathers uh, tell me about uh, old Nubian. You paint stories? Yeah, the stories. And make for every painting the story from a Nubian tradition. I will tell you other stories for, about this. Is this temple in a Fiala temple in Aswan? So we, it's the remains of a temple yeah, in Aswan, yeah. which is around uh, the water. There's a woman who is bathing her child in the water, and then there is another child who just built a little boat, putting it in the river. This is when the baby born. After 40 days, we take the baby mother and aunts and children with some sweet and incense and go to the river. Yeah, And uh, in, in all time, we put it, the baby three times in the water and pray for the baby. We make a little boat and write this, the name of the baby and push it in the river. And push it in the yeah. river? Yeah, in the river. Jamal, this is a, a beautiful place. So many stories here and stories are my absolute favourite thing. Thank you so much for inviting us to your house. Thank you, thank you, sir. You're welcome and so happy to visit me here. <laughs> thank you. Right, so we're on our way to Hatshepsut Temple. It's uh, about 1 p.m. on Monday the 13th of February. In two hours, we dance. I'm with Mohammed here and we just stopped 
to have a look at some excavation work. And we can see people in the back that we can ever so slightly hear over the noise of uh, the road which is just behind us. Actually, there are Egyptian people, but with them there is a German mission. This is area, it's called the closest Memnon, and it's so big temple, the, the biggest temple in the West Bank, we say here. But unfortunately, this temple is not here because there was a king in the past, built a factory for the sugar cane. So he ordered the workers to cut the most of the uh, stones from the temple. There was no ministry of antiquities in this time, so they make uh, research here, they take everything from under, because in the past the Nile was flooding, so a lot of things, a lot of uh, historic under the mud, so they keep go deep and take this out and clean it and present it in a good way. And it's huge, maybe 500 meters long. This city is constantly changing, isn't it? There is always something new coming. There is always a new discovery. And for you as a guide, you always have to learn. Yes, every day we have to learn. Every day I make a search. I look for the new things, what they discover. I keep follow because anything could coming, change all of the history, what we know. If they, if they discover new tombs or new temples, they tell us new stories, everything will be different, you know. The most important monument uh, for us on this journey, obviously, is Hatshepsut because this is where the circle event will be happening. People say that Hatshepsut is the most important monument in this yes. city. Yes, exactly. Because she built a great temple, she did a mission, she sent a mission to Africa, she buy a lot of things, she get a lot of tourists to Egypt, she did a lot for Egypt. So this is why she's the most important one. Let's go to Hatshepsut Temple. Okay, let's go. We are entering the mortuary temple of Hatshepsut. In front of me, I can see what I would describe as an amphitheater of limestone cliffs. And right at the bottom is the Hatshepsut temple built into those cliffs. As we walk towards the temple, you can see a kind of hidden on the right, a, a building with a massive door. This is the tomb of Senenmut, the designer of Hatshepsut. A lot of people, they say they was have a love story together, Hatshepsut and the designer, for her to make his tomb so closer to her. Just outside the doors, we're going to see here two holes in the right and the left side. This is uh, Twees, Hatshepsut, she bought from Liban, Africa, and she called this country Bond. So there are two routes, essentially, the trees aren't there anymore, obviously, but as we face the entrance and the huge stairs going to the first floor of Hatshepsut Temple. They put these trees in the boxes to collect them and bring them back to Egypt. And she called this area the Garden of Amon. Amon, this is the main god here. They make like exchange. Egyptian here take some gold and seeds and they get animals, giraffe, a lot of things. Giraffes were in Egypt? Yeah, she bring the giraffe uh, with her in a boot and a monkey as well, black panther, tigers. It must have been crazy for people living here who'd never seen animals yeah, like this. Yeah, this is exactly what's happened. It was crazy, really. Africa being literally the biggest continent in the world, yeah. going from Egypt, which is basically at the top of Africa, to all the way at the bottom. Yeah. 
that's that's a long journey. Yeah, but until now, still they doesn't know where is exactly the place. They could think it's Somalia, you know, but nobody know exactly where is the point where her uh, ships bark, and she go there and she meet uh, the king. So this is a, a sphinx, that sphinx. Have, that's been uh, sculpted in limestone, limestone and it is just by the stairs that go up to the first floor of Hatshepsut. And I, I can see uh, a face, but there is also a beard. There is a beard. She put the fake beard to say to the people to prove she can uh, rule as a man, as a king, you know. If you look around, you will see her, her statues looks as a man, not a woman, body of a man, you can see the muscle, but just the details on her face, it says she's a woman. First floor of the uh, temple of Hatshepsut, uh, we have some columns right next yeah. to us, and we're looking up and we can see some drawings. What we see here, this is all what you see in Africa, the coconut, birds, also the cows relaxing under trees. And this is the king from the country where they gone. Enriched her own country. Exactly. She bring all of this, you know, to present to the people. So this is our tour of Hatshepsut, and yeah. now we head back to uh, the music. Well, here we go. Kicking off. Six hours of music live from Hatshepsut Temple in Luxor, Egypt. <laughs> I'm getting chills even just saying this with the music starting. It feels like the last couple of days with very little sleep have all led to this one moment. And it's starting now. Let's dance! Show some love to Adriatic! Right, it's half past six, the night is set, and I just can't believe what I'm seeing. Lights are shining onto the limestone cliffs, and inside the temple, they're also placed behind every single column on every level, and they're going from right to left. And I can see the part where you told me, Mohammed, of the story of Hatshepsut going to Africa. Yeah. It's amazing to see it like this. Yeah. How does it feel? It's feel amazing, really so, so cool. I'm so happy, super exciting here. Everybody is so exciting. I wish that can happen every day like that. You were saying just now that you think even your grandfather would like this. Yeah, I think if my grandfather, the pharaohs are here, they would be proud of us and they will love this work. You think if the pharaohs were here, they would love this? Yeah, they would dance, come and dance with us and enjoy the party. It's amazing. <laughs> Maybe they would have done so 3,500 years ago. Who yeah, knows? They, they was. They was. They was dancing. There's a lot of pictures in the temples. They are dancing. So a lot of sh show and dance and stick dance. A lot of things. <laughs> I can just imagine that the pharaohs dancing to this. Uh, what an amazing setting. And thank you so much for... Her of being, you know, our trusted guide for this whole journey. It really was truly special and it's going to take me some time to process everything that's happened <laughs> in the last two days. What an amazing opportunity to visit a place like this through your eyes. So thank you so much. Thank you so much and please do it again.
It's been an eye-opening couple of days with fascinating encounters. And as I'm about to power down my recording equipment, I bump into Circle founder Derek Barbola, who asks me about my highlights of this trip. So Frank, what just happened uh, made me really want to take the mic <laughs> and interview you. Okay. Which is, I'm sure, something that... Um, don't happen that much right it rarely happens it rarely happens it's very weird for me this <laughs> i love that <laughs> i knew I, w i would love that <laughs> you were showing me uh, the pictures you just bought uh, during your trip here in egypt and you looked like um that you were really getting sentimental with it it's crazy the last the last day and a half has been just absolutely unbelievable completely immersing myself in the culture and the and the communities of Luxor, it's just been unbelievable. And the, the sort of pinnacle of everything was this morning when we went to a Nubian village to go see this artist, Jamal Latif. Anyways, he's got all his paintings in his courtyard. And he was telling me all the stories and one of them is the story of this old Nubian tradition when a baby is born, you take the baby to the Nile and you dip him in the Nile three times and then you take him out and then you build a boat made out of palm tree leaves and you write the name of the child and you push it down the Nile. And it just was so emotional for me because I'm having a little boy in a, a few months. And um, yeah, I just got really, really emotional when he showed me this and told me the story. So it was not only a, a podcast, but also just a moment of life that you encountered, right? Oh, man, just in so many ways. I've had moments sitting around in a farm in the middle of nowhere, looking out and listening to the farmer tell me about how this farm is between two villages and they share half of the farm each. And one side is Muslim, the other side is Christian. But he was explaining how they were all brothers and it doesn't matter who they are and where they come from. We're all together, we're brothers. If he wants some seeds, I give him some seeds. If, I, if he has some seeds I want, we share the seeds. We grow things together. I'm just gonna <laughs> need so much time to process it, I think. Yeah, I mean, I remember when you, I, I first uh, seen you today. Yeah. It was the first time I have seen you uh, for, for some time. Yeah. And, and you were so emotional. Yeah. I was so happy to see to see that. And, and about the paintings you bought, I, I really want to, to add a feature to a podcast to <laughs> just show this oh, beautiful uh, painting. Yeah, it's just nice to take a little piece of, of an experience. And this was an experience that was so quickly lived. It's not only quick, but a lot of things happen in a very short period of time. Do you consider that this will change your life? <laughs> Fuck yeah, man. Yeah, it's yes. changed my fucking life, of yes. course. <laughs> End of this interview. Thank you very much, guys. And thank you for listening to Ecosystem Episode 1. This is the start of an exciting new journey for all of us at Circle, and it's great to have you with us. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. We'd also love to hear from you. Would you like more? Where should we go next? Email hello at cercle.io, spelled C-E-R-C-L-E. -E. I guarantee you, we read all of them. Next time, we head to Iceland. When you just don't
won't stop. You don't have to think, it just kind of flows out of you. Those are still the most magical and meaningful moments of my life. Our culture is really connected to the geothermal heat. If you go into the hot tub, you could have the Prime Minister or Björk. You just talk to them like you would talk to everyone. You see a stone, you pick it up, uh-huh. you know if it's going to be the right note you're looking for. Yes, 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 natural. Norse people were everywhere, both as Vikings, as farmers, as mercenaries. Old Icelandic was spoken in a lot of places in the world in that time, the language we still speak today. Hanging on cables on a window cleaning lift, going down a volcanic chimney. It was a very dark time in the sense that everything was just falling apart. It was a very important step in sort of breaking up the way the political system had always been. 40 years ago, it became a hit all over Europe. The most successful album in the history of Icelandic music. Until then, from me, Frank McQueenie, and the whole team here at CERC, take it easy. Bye.